Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, this is Glenn James and you're listening to He's on the Money and today I've got Victoria Devine from... You've got a little podcast. What's it called? Oh, I'm not actually sure. Oh, really? Oh, it sounds familiar. It's so much like yours. Um, She's on the Money. She's on the Money, yeah. yeah. you might have heard of it. It's the same, but just with an S at the front. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's absolutely not a trademarking issue. No, not at all. No, no, not even close. Wow. Probably. I wonder if it is. Do you know much about trademark law? I do. Anyway, don't answer that question. I do, and I'm telling you right now, he's on the money, I'd come for you. Mm. (laughs) Give it a go, though. I will, yeah. So, on MMA today, My Millennial Answers, Victoria and I, we're going to answer some wild questions that have come in from the My Millennial Money community, and you'd get questions like this every day as well. And some of these questions, it's like, as financial professionals... We couldn't actually think up these questions because they're just so cool and random and everyone's situation is different. Yeah, So absolutely. that's what, That's why I always say, like, send us your questions and we will chat about them. Yeah, and I kind of love it because we can have these conversations about these topics. Like, I know one of the questions is about maternity leave and we can have a full conversation about this. Yeah. But there's such a specific question that if we answer this, someone's going to learn something really cool that they didn't know about before, but we wouldn't have been talking about it totally. had we not been asked. I know, like, we're at a coffee place. Uh, it's called Ten Square in Melbourne and I'm having a nice, uh, what have I got here? Got an Ethiopian, an Ethiopian blend. No, it's a, it's a single origin. I'm so sorry. Yes. I wouldn't use blend. How very no. dare I? Gosh. And I've got my oat milk latte. Shout out to Minor Figures, my favourite oat milk. <laughs> Not sponsored, wish I was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. So, Eve, this is a good one. So, Eve says or asks how to break the borrowing cycle while on maternity leave. I think we need to break that down a little bit. Yeah. Like, so, and maybe make a few assumptions about what that actually means. So, do you reckon that she's talking about credit cards or is she talking about personal loans? I, like, I would probably, for this conversation, let's assume that she's in consumer debt. So, she's not talking about how do I stop borrowing for an investment property while I'm out, like, on maternity leave. Yeah, absolutely. So, it, it might be as from one end of the spectrum, she uses Afterpay or ZipPay. Yeah and just can't get out of that cycle or she, as you said, credit cards or she's got some car loans and she refinances because if, and we don't know anything about Eve, Eve could be 38 years old, the top end of the millennial spectrum and for the last 20 years has leased a car, end of the lease, rolled over into a new loan and she's just on this um, treadmill of Mm. borrowing or whether it's credit card and then we roll that into an interest-free one and then blah, blah, blah. So Yeah, I think it's an interesting one though because I think a lot of people think that they aren't going to spend a lot of money on maternity leave 
and they end up spending more than they had anticipated. Like I have a few clients that have said, oh, I'm up at 3 a.m. breastfeeding and I'm scrolling through dress websites and they end up putting a couple of dresses on after pay because it's 3 a.m. and they're a bit delirious and they just do that and then the next day they regret it, but they're really good at spending in the middle of the night. I had to delete the Kogan app off my phone because they do like instant pay and instant ship and it's just all rubbish and I've only bought... (laughs) Of course you did. I only like get rubbish when I'm like tired or can't sleep. Yes. Oh, gosh. So, anyway. So, what would you say to Eve to solve all her problems? Look, I can't solve all of Eve's problems. Adam's probably creating a couple of them. (laughs) But I think the most important thing here is actually having a budget. And I've said this time and time again, having a budget and being on a budget are very different things. But understanding your spending cycles, understanding what you need as a base to survive on maternity leave, like what are your costs? You know, if you're going on maternity leave and you are in debt, okay, well, let's put that into the budget and work out how we pay that back during that period of time. Um, Eve Eve isn't incorrect in asking the question of how to break that but I guess that's then about money habits and what your values are and how we can create a new cycle or maybe a new habit instead of going shopping maybe she can go for a walk instead of you know jumping on that website is there a game you can play on your phone Mm. like for me it's about the habit and when are you borrowing and what is that for and that's why before I mentioned my clients who are spending at 3am because that for them is just the thing that they do on their phone quite mindlessly because they're breastfeeding at 3am. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've got to hack the behaviour. Hack the habit. Yeah. So what I would say to Eve, very similar, I think to break any cycle, like for something to change, something's got to change. And I would say for the greater good, if, for example, Eve, you just went, okay, to first break the cycle, we've got to stop borrowing. So, if that means... Cut your credit card Cut the credit card up. Put the payments on minimum because I would rather you pay... Like, if your statement says you owe $112 this month as the repayment, but the minimum says $23 a month for 35 years, I would rather you just spend the $23 a month, provided you're not borrowing any more, and put that $100 into your cash flow to try and break the habit for the greater good. Yeah, I agree. Then, Eve, if you want to reach out, send me an Instagram or a Facebook message. If you don't have the spending plan, I'll get you a code and you can do it as my guest. And I think we just need to build our spending plan or our budget based on all the minimum repayments. And don't worry if you're paying off $20 a month on the credit card. Just get through this next six, three months, whatever it is, to change the habit for the greater good. Yeah. And yeah. then once we get the new habits of having a spending plan and a budget in place, we can then go, okay, this is how much it costs to, to exist. Then we can go and smash the debt. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I think it's really important for people to realize that whilst you and I, Glenn, are absolutely on the same page about getting rid of debt, if you're on maternity leave, it's actually not going to make logical sense for you to impact your cash flow so significantly that you're impacting lifestyle during that period of time where, you know what, you just need a fair bit more stability. And if it means we're paying a little bit more interest for the grace of that stability, I think that that is well worth it. Totally. And to change a habit, there's going to be some, you know, what's that? To make omelettes, you've got to break eggs. Have you heard that saying? No, I haven't. Yeah, well, there you go. So I'm learning something new every exactly. day. Exactly. Uh, 
if that means you are paying more interest for a short amount of time, it is for the greater good. I would rather you pay an extra $300 interest over the next six months, 12 months, whatever that is, for you to stop the cycle. We'll just call it cycle tax. Yeah, and I think it's really important to realise Which is what a lot of women have to pay at the moment with GST yeah. on feminine products. Yeah, what a time to be alive. <laughs> I Love that for I me. I can't believe it. That's that. actually insane. Anyway, I just thought don't, cycle don't tax. Start, yeah, like, look, That's a new honestly, don't start me on this topic. It will be a rant. You won't get your MMA questions through. Yeah, it's wild. So, <laughs> But hey, Eve, I just I love that you actually... you. The first thing is you know that there's a problem. A lot of people just blindly go through life living in chaos and they do not they do not realize that oh i am living in a dumb debt cycle yeah and, and, and that's just there. it it's a cycle break the cycle work out what your cash flow is work out what your minimum repayments on things are because you'll feel a lot more comfortable knowing what the game plan is totally. than you will consistently thinking about oh no i've got debt sitting there i need to extinguish it sometimes sitting with that debt for a little bit more time is better for your mental health, it's better for your cash flow, it's better for your family, but make that plan. Don't just go, oh, Victoria said it's better to sit with debt. That's not the, that's not the answer. But the answer is make sure you're in a position where you understand your needs and your requirements and you're meeting those. Yeah. And that's it. Like I always say to like my listeners, have a strategy, however small. Absolutely. And if, and if that strategy is over the next six months, I'm doing these three steps, it's strategic, it, on paper... You know, you might get some financial nerds that think that, particularly me, don't believe financial nerds. We are financial nerds. Yeah, but like you'll get some that are so far on the other end of the spectrum that it's all got to do with dollars and you not pay an extra cent of interest if you don't have to. I'd say that's cute, but you have to hack the behavior. Mm -hmm. And to hack the behavior, it might mean we're taking one step backwards in an interest repayment. Yeah, but small steps are still steps. Absolutely. So, we'll go to Chris now. Chris asks, how do I get over my fear of investment? This is a great question. Just step right over, mate. Yeah, just That's really bad advice from me. Um, You need to understand where your fear of investment is coming from. Mm. And often, that's the fear of the unknown. That is often the fear of change. People are comfortable where they are because they feel like they have complete clarity and this is something that, you know, you, Glenn, when you were a financial advisor would have dealt with all the time and I am dealing with all the time now with my clients. And that's just making them comfortable with the process. Like a good financial advisor is going to hold your hand through that entire process to make sure you're absolutely comfortable with the outcome and they shouldn't be investing a dollar of your money until you go, no, please, Glenn, can we do this now? Yeah. Instead of, oh, I guess, like that's not a good financial advisor. But... You know, this is all me talking, but educate yourself. Listen to the My Millennial Money podcast. Listen to She's on the Money. Listen to He's on the Money. Listen to He's on the Money. <laughs> understand what all of the investment understand what all the investment terminology is. Go in go on Investopedia. I love that website. Mm. It explains things so simply. If you're wondering what it is, play with the what is it? That game online where the share trading yeah, game, share the ASX. Tra- yeah, the ASX share trading game is fantastic for understanding what the market does and how it works. So I I would actually again if I, it's so weird. I've got this weird like high level of practical intelligence. I've got bugger all actual intelligence, but I've got oh, yeah. a, I've got a good book level smart, of smart, not street smart. Yeah, I'm street smart, but not book smart. All right, like well, the I'm opposite. the opposite. Yeah, that's like, right. Totally not yeah. street smart. You yeah. saw me. On that cobblestone uh, thing out the front. (laughs) So, I always default to what's a practical hack 
that Chris can implement today. Absolutely. We need to do the learning. But I was thinking, Chris, like, one, if you do have 100 grand and you're seeing an advisor, obviously we're not stepping one foot forward unless you're educated enough to make your own decision. Now, if you've got five grand that you want to invest and you've been looking at some micro-investing apps so you've been looking at a, a Vanguard index fund or something like that, what I would say, Chris, is to get over your fear of investment, if you had that five grand, can you put $1,000 in there and just don't do anything but every couple of weeks, every couple of days, just go in and just have a look at the $1,000. Just let a bit of time pass and go, oh, it's actually not so bad after all because yeah. I haven't put all my money in. I've just put a, a toe in the water. Yep, getting a good feel of what's going on. So I'll do that, number one. Number two, I think your fear of investment, it could be I've got a fear because I don't know what the next 12 months of my life looks like and if I invest, I might need the money. Well, we're not investing until you've got some type of life plan. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we both agree here that we're not allocating any money for future investment if you need that money within the next five years. Yeah, or if you've got debt. Or if you've got debt. Like paying off debt is an investment in itself. That needs to go before you even consider investment. But I think as well, we waste so much money on things. Like I am really good. I was just talking to you before, Glenn, about buying you AirPods that I probably didn't need but really love. Um, and you're talking about, you know, buying some podcasting equipment that, you know, you had a good one, but like we're really, we're really gadgety kind yeah, of people, Yeah, for those right? gadgety people at home, yeah. I had like a Zoom H6 and... There, I Which had, I have right now, so one, could you just calm down? That is a good, yeah, good product. But I, how many times I'll give emotional purchases, you justify stuff. Yeah. So I can justify anything. Oh, I know. And I know you can because you already have to me. But my point here <laughs> is we buy things every day that are maybe not in line with our values or mm. not in line with things that we're doing. Put a price on that. You or I was willing to buy some new AirPods. What's that cost me? Like $200? Cool. Start with that $200 and invest that. Totally. So start with things that you're like, all right, well, I've wasted more money before. And this isn't the way to start investing. This is just a different like mindset. Mm. It's all right, well, just take a small amount of money that you could have potentially wasted on a product or, you know, going out with your friends and, just and start there. Yeah. Just drip feed it. Like we don't have to go hard. We don't have to be investing thousands of dollars each and every single month to take a baby step. Yeah. And like well, you were talking before about micro investing platforms. They are so fantastic for having an entry level. Like you can start with five dollars. Yeah. Start with five dollars. It gives you the access to the app. You can see the different investment profiles. You can start to understand what your risk profile looks like. You can see what their portfolio is constructed of you can have a look at the performance of it each and every single day and for me it's great to tip it's great because you can dip your toes in the water so i think we need to shift our mindset a little bit around investment at the very beginning doesn't have to be all or nothing yeah totally agree and the other thing oh before i get onto that the new sound device that I actually purchased. Oh my god, you were still on this? Yeah, All I right, want to tell sorry. the people. The right, people tell, who, the, tell the people about your pre mix six. So I've got a no, it's a mix pre six. It sounded cool the way down. I said yeah, it. It's a mix pre six by sound devices, and the justification, another layer of justification that I had, Asher, our voiceover guy, I actually gave him my H6 and a microphone to have at his house. Generosity just doesn't stop with you, does it? I just live to you. Yeah, I'm saying that. So but the other thing, Chris, I think 
I just before we move on to the next so question, should Chris invested in mix pre six. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So yeah. that's the answer here. Like to exactly. get over your fear of investment, <laughs> you need a mixer. Totally. So what I would also, and this is just a blanket thing of how investment works, if you purchased one share in CBA, okay, how much is a CBA share today? Let's just we're going to get Google up. I've got Wi-Fi here. No, I don't. It's like $80 or something. I don't even follow individual stocks. That's how like... Bad financial advisor. I can tell you right now. With your Google. With my Google. uh, That on the ASX right now, you can buy one Commonwealth Bank of Australia share for $85.10. I said, was it like around $80 or something? Yeah. Yeah. So, thank you. Yeah, well... I was five dollars off, but you're so, five dollars off. But so, Chris, it's actually coming down, guys. <laughs> we buy when it's low and sell when it's high. But Chris, if here's one thing to get over your fear: if you purchased one share in CBA, don't for, do that for eighty-five dollars. That's a terrible idea. Are you yeah, kidding? That's an example. Okay, bad example. That, that will cost eighty-five dollars. You own that share now. Tomorrow, if the share price falls to $75, you've lost $10, but only if you sold that share the next day. So, you still own the one share. So, this is like the in the education piece around how investments work. I see where you're going with that and it is a really good point. Like yeah. investment is for the long term and that's where people get a bit stung and I've had this in my community recently where a number of people have downloaded micro investment platforms, put a couple of hundred dollars in there. And then freaked out after three weeks because the price has gone down and been like, oh, I pulled all my money out of that micro-investment platform because it wasn't performing and it was such a bad idea. It's like, well, actually, you should have never put your money in there because you didn't understand investment when you you entered. Yeah, Yeah, you didn't understand that there is a period of time that you need to be in, buy low, sell high, and you need to actually ride that wave. You can't just pull your money out in three weeks. And that's why when people ask me, what should I do with my home deposit before I purchase a house? Should I be investing in shares? Hell no, you shouldn't be. Yeah, unless you want to buy a house unless in you seven buy, years. Yeah, in seven or eight years when the market has recovered or when something's going on. But I would hate to think that someone will put their home deposit into the share market to purchase a home in 12 months because I cannot guarantee where that price is going to be sitting and you might lose money in that period of time. But your money is only lost if you take your money out of the share market. Exactly, because you'll always have one share in CBA. Yeah. But the face value price of that share will fluctuate. Yeah, and we know that over the over the history of the Australian share market, if you were invested for more than 30 years, nobody invested for more than 30 years has ever lost any money. Absolutely, yeah. It's weird that, isn't it, when you look at it that way? Long-term investment is key. So, Jessica asks, how to manage investing when unsure where you will live due to spouses from two different countries and careers where you follow jobs around. So, they're in academia. I've got a couple of clients like this. So, look, really interesting question because Mm. it's very hard to make this decision. But I think you need to work out what your longer-term plan is. So, where are you planning on 
rooting yourself in the future? Like, are you going to be in Australia? Are you going to be in the UK? You know, in the future, what does that actually look like? I've got a couple of clients who are living in Canada and the US, but they're not going to live there forever. So we still have their share portfolios in Australia for them to come home to because it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to then establish an investment in another country to then pay tax on, to then come home to. But in saying that, while they're away, we're not actually investing consistently like we would have if they were living in Australia because of currency exchange and different tax rates, etc. So what we are doing is just maybe once or twice a year doing a lump sum investment and putting that money into their share portfolio if that's what they want to do. Like, yeah. Whereas clients who are investing for 12 months or they're going to live in the UK for 12 months, we actually stop their investment or use some of the savings they have in Australia to top that up so that we don't have the tax implications and the confusion of cross-country borders and cross-country tax issues. Which can be a freaking nightmare. And they absolutely are. So I guess, you know, you're, if I can go to the street smart answer now, um, book smart, hello. Yeah, exactly. I, I probably, hate being the book smart person. No, I've good. always wanted to be the cool person. I've always I'm wanted just, to be the book smart person. No, I just want to be cool, <laughs> <Yeah>. guys. <laughs> we had someone give us feedback the other day to, um, I referred them to James Millard, one of our advisors in Sydney. Yeah, who's great. And he said to me, oh, they said that they love listening to the podcast and it's like listening to your dad. They're kind of dorky. And I wrote back, I'm like... Excuse me, what? James told me that they said that to him. And I'm like, no way, I'm heaps cool. Yeah, that's what my dad would say. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so what I'd probably do, number one, you both have to make sure you are both on the same page. Number one, that if one wants to go hard and invest and one isn't sure, we have to resolve the relationship goals first, I would imagine. Number two... We're actually planning an episode and we're recording in the next couple of weeks. I don't know when it will be up and I don't know when this one will be up. The episode is going to be called like how to be a financial minimalist. Okay. So, if you are skipping around the world, maybe you have to adopt that we actually are almost financial minimalists. We're financial nomads. So, our investing is lean. It's agile. It can adapt. So, I think my whole thing is we're both on the same page. I'll probably also have higher than normal emergency fund for Jessica and her partner. Yeah, absolutely. If there's a death in a family and they've got to jump on a plane or whatever, so we usually say if you're an employee, you have three months worth of a, your expenses as an, as an emergency fund. Yeah. I might be taking that to six months just because of the wild relationship and different countries and all that stuff. So Yeah, that's really important actually. I Making mean, sure that you're financially secure doesn't necessarily mean that you are investing. It means that you have a cushion to fall back on exactly. if anything hits the fan. Yeah. So I think as well, like I'll just randomly, if you both have a bit of a job in Thailand at the moment and you might be there five years, you might be there for 10 minutes... We're obviously not buying real estate in Thailand yeah, to live. Absolutely. So, we're a financial minimalist and we'll talk more about that on that episode when I work out what that's going to be, but I've written some things down. But I like that concept. Financial minimalism is really, really important. Yeah. Cause we, yeah so, and I try and be one. Like, I don't, I actually don't want 50 investment properties. Like, too no, much neither. drama. Like, I just want to shovel money into one investment that's lean and it's I think performing. people are really su- or will be really surprised to hear that actually mm. because they think and I've had this feedback on myself personally people think that because I'm an investment advisor that I have some massive complex investment strategy 
I don't. Mine's so boring. I, so is mine. It's so dry. Yeah. And it's often very similar to what I recommend to clients because I do what I say I do and why wouldn't that work for you? Because scalable investment is good investment. Absolutely. And yeah, so I often joke with like friends. I'm like, yeah, you're over there trying to work out the exact perfect thing before you invest or I'm over here just shoveling money. Like, yeah. That's Everything just yeah. goes into my investment portfolio totally. and that works for me. And you know what? My strategy might change at some point in my life when my partner decides that he wants property because he's quite passionate about I thought he was about, about to say children. Oh, yeah, maybe that at some <laughs> point. But property. Um, but for me right now, that's not my priority and it would create unnecessary complexity because there's a lot of things that come into play well, when you have property. Like I'm not ready to be a landlord. Like I don't want that responsibility. The minimalism thing, it's like I want – minimalism in terms of admin and paperwork and chat to do it. Just responsibility. Time. I want less responsibility and more control. And that's why like one reason why I put money into an investment bond because it's one less thing I have to put on my tax return. Yeah. And it's just like, oh praise the Lord, I don't have to have that bit of paperwork for tax. But anyway. So yeah, I don't know if we've solved any problems there, Jessica, but it's a good conversation to have. But be on the same page, get your goals um, Get your goals, have a you budget so that you money, understand. Um, probably if there is the long game, as you said, Victoria, to come back to Australia, maybe build your portfolio there because we don't want to have to sell down assets when you do move to that country you will call home yeah. in the future. Absolutely. And find an investment advisor that can hold your hand through that process yeah, as so well. Yeah, so you might need an expat specialist or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Because there do- will be a specialist that does that and there will be a strategy that works for you. As I said, like my strategy for my clients who live overseas is very different to the strategy that I have for clients who are in Melbourne. Yeah. Because it just doesn't make sense to do some things, but in other situations it does. So talk to someone who is knowledgeable and actually reach out to them and go, what should I be doing and how do I facilitate what's best for and me in the long term. Jessica, if you are randomly listening to this, uh, there's a, a guy I know, Brett Evans, and he's got a company called Atlas Wealth, and they just specialise in expat stuff. I don't know. Shout out. Shout out to Brett, so, who's great. I follow him on Instagram, actually. Yeah. Do you know he's oh living God. in Dubai at the moment? Rude. So yeah. cool. Temporarily, like, they've set up an office there, and so he does a lot of Australians all around the world, and yeah, he's, very cool. he's like... Apparently, Dubai is a good time zone to do the US and yeah, Australia and Asia and all that because it's like in the middle. Uh, and oh, well, there we'll, you go, Jessica. Have a chat to Brett. Yeah, we'll just finish up with Kelsey. Should I have income protection insurance as part of my super or is it more beneficial to find my own option? Just so many questions to come, I'm sure. Oh, oh, I was, love this question. Yeah. I'm so opinionated. Do you want to start? Because I'll go on a rant well, and then you won't get I a will, in. I specialized in my business in like business succession and risk insurance and stuff. So I've got a strong view on this. I think it's the same as mine. It's do not have it inside superannuation. So yeah, the short answer is Kelsey. I did an episode. It's number 141. And it's basically we spend an hour just talking about all the types of insurance in super. So that's episode 141. If you go back and have a listen to that, we'll have a deep dive. But effectively to have... Anything to do with superannuation has to be the same as the CIS law, which is the governing thing for super, right? So, by default, if you did not have any insurance in your super and you wanted to get money out of super, the definition to get money out of super is pretty tight. Yeah. Disablement. Yeah. 
It's pretty strict. Which means the income insurance inside super, with your super fund, if it's a default cover, it's going to be really crap. Yeah, full stop. It's a group policy. It is not there to benefit you. It's not tailored for you. No. And for example, a lot of those policies, to to satisfy the temporary incapacity clause in super, you've actually got to be off work and unpaid. So if you've got a shatload of long service leave, a shatload of sick days, an income protection policy solely in super is no good for you. No way. Because you won't be able to actually claim on it. Yeah, I'm quite opinionated on this as well. I'm very much an advocate of income protection outside of superannuation for a number of reasons. For me, own versus any occupation is really important. I work with a lot of people where that's going to be a big issue for them. Also, a number of income protection policies held outside of superannuation give you what's called like the 10-hour work week. Like you can go back to work for 10 hours and that's absolutely not applicable in superannuation. And for me, that's really important for mental health as well because if you need to claim on insurance protection, something pretty significant has happened to you and you're in a situation where maybe going back to work for a couple of hours a week is actually just really good to get that social interaction in, do some admin, do whatever you want to do. But still be on claim. Yeah, but still... But still be on claim. But still be on claim and still be able to get the full benefits of your income protection. There are options to have a good retail policy. And to be honest, episode 141, like we talked for over an hour on the three types of insurance like group, direct and retail. So the retail insurance policies, they're tailored to you. Now, there are options and you need to see a financial advisor because you cannot get this online direct. You no, you can't. actually can't, okay? No, it's, it's not. It's not even available. Actually, I forgot to tell you earlier, there was an online comparison website that put an ad on Facebook and used My Millennial Money and Gen Z Money what? associated with another person no. by accident. That's a bit rude. They were advertising. I'll show you the screenshot oh later. Oh, gosh. Anyway, they were, anyway, so, and what a financial advisor can do, they can actually set up a policy that is income protection. 80% of it is funded from your super to help with cash flow if you're getting out of debt. Mm-hmm. And a small portion, around 20%, is funded in your own name, which gives you the provisions that Victoria and I are talking about yeah. that will allow you to claim if you can only work 10 hours a week, yeah. if you might have a bit of sick leave, if you X, Y, Z. Yeah. Look, something else that's really important to me in income protection is financial and medical underwriting. So, having a policy is useless if the company that you have your policy with doesn't know the the parameters of your personal situation. So, often I see clients who have income protection and they think they're absolutely fine, but it's for a level of cover that they wouldn't actually be allowed to claim on because they were like, oh, I just said that I want on 100 grand. And it's like, well, actually, you only earn 60. So, when time of claim came, you would only get 60, but you're actually paying for 100 on the basis that they've just assumed you haven't inflated that number. And then medical underwriting as well. You see a couple of people being stung on this where, you know, they go to claim and, you know, breast cancer is a really... um, 
good example here where someone goes, shit, I've got breast cancer, this is awful, I'm really glad that I have income protection, but they go to claim, but because their mum also had breast cancer, they're not allowed to claim because it's family history. So for me, getting everything up front and understanding your situation and getting your insurer signed documentation that says we medically and financially underwrite this person so that when you do need to claim or if you do need to claim, there's no questions. You don't have to provide your tax return. You don't have to provide your medical history. You're not going to be knocked back. And if there is something that you're knocked back for, you already know what that is because it's excluded. Yeah, you've got certainty. And basically for the lawyers out there, you on a retail policy, you have a contract that's governed by the Insurance Contracts Act where a policy that's just given to everyone in the super fund, it's not under a contract and they can actually make that policy worse as time goes on. Yeah, they can change any rule about it without your agreement. So they just can to, take things off just and to drive, it's, this, ah. drive these home, one of the top five super funds in Australia in terms of like an industry fund, a big super fund, one of the heads of insurance claims in the super fund, right? was a client of mine and we had a retail policy set up with them because they knew how rubbish the income policy was with the super company that that they worked with. And we actually had to have a claim for them. Oh, my gosh. And they have actually stopped working. And That's horrendous. And it was weird. And they were like, I would have never been able to claim through this policy. And and it's their business. How bad is that? And they're head of claims at the insurance company. Yeah. And I have Look, them as a client with a retail policy. And you trust it, right? Like you just go, all right, well, I've got income protection. That's great. But you actually need to know the ins and the outs of that policy and understand what it is. And if you do have a family history of something, talk to an advisor about it to make sure that they can work out what's going on. Because just because you've got a family history doesn't mean you'll get an automatic exclusion. There are ways around it. But if you came to claim time, they would actually just say, no, sorry, it's not covered in yeah. our policy. But if you can talk to a good financial advisor who has a good relationship, relationship with their underwriters, they can often find a way around that yeah, to minimise what is actually excluded totally. and put you in the best possible financial position. Totally. So, Kelsey, see an advisor. If you need one, sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help and I'll introduce you to someone to help you. All right, Victoria, thank you so much for your time today. A pleasure, as always, Glenn James. And what's coming up this year for She's on the Money? Oh Anything gosh, so wild that so you can much. share? When's this podcast going live? We'll do it probably towards the end of Feb, start of March, maybe. Oh, wow. Would have already seen my sports girl campaign with Be That Girl, which has been incredible. Apparently, I'm that girl. My face was in all 150 stores of sports girl for the month of February. Wow. And I'm all across their social media and done a whole heap of video content with them, which I'm so, so proud of because. They came to me because of what we're doing in the financial literacy yeah. space and they just said, look, this is inspiring and something we want to get behind. And I just, I was really happy with that. Yeah, that's um, cool. They're such an awesome company to be aligned with and just have on your team, I think. One of like, at the end of our episodes, when we do like the after party and our episodes where we just talk crap, I said to John, I'm like, I reckon I could be a sports girl. Like if there was any brand... Oh I'd my want gosh, to be a, sports, be a girl. sports girl. Yeah, I love sports girl. I've, I've worn them since I was like 15. So, so great. Yeah. So it was kind of cool to be approached by that company given I feel so strongly about their brand and their presence. So yeah. it's really nice to align to people in the industry who so believe good. in what you believe in as well. Like so for me, good. that's awesome because... You know, you and I, Glenn, have this massive passion around financial literacy. Mm. And to start seeing 
other people and you know retailers pick that up and go victoria this is really important how do we share your message totally it's incredible totally. it's absolutely incredible well there you go people we've got a, a sports gal in the midst. Ooh, wild mm. a few other things happening but you can pop on over to she's on the money aus to to check those out on the instas on the instagram love it all right see ya bye Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.